If the Lord be with us, why then is all this befallen us? And where be all his miracles? Which our fathers told us of, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord hath forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. The Lord did this to us. Now I'm going to come back to him in a few minutes, but in order to delve into this, I have to at least mention him. I want you to look at two or three people from a distance and just wave to them. We don't, we're not hugging right now. Some of us aren't even shaking right now. But just greet one another. Praise the Lord. God bless you. Glad you made it. Glad you're here. Hallelujah. So the angel of the Lord says to Gideon, the Lord is with you. Very personal. Thou mighty man of valor. Gideon's reply is rather repugnant, I must admit. Well, if the Lord is with us, or if this is true, I mean, the Lord says this, and you say, if you're telling me the truth. I want you to get the setting here. Well, if that's true, as if God could lie, it just shows you where Gideon was at, right? If the Lord is, is really with us, then why are we stuck in this situation? And also, where are all the miracles? The miracles that we heard about when you brought Israel through the wilderness and coming out of Egypt and all of that stuff. It appears to me that Gideon was not even aware of why that the Midianites had invaded the land of Israel. Gideon was not even aware that God had sent them as a judgment upon Israel because of their licentious lifestyle and their worship of false gods. We who sit here today are not confused whatsoever. We are not ignorant as Gideon was ignorant concerning the present state of affairs, but I want to, you to tell me if you've not pondered the question, if not recently, at least uh, before, where are the miracles that were experienced by the Book of Acts church? Where are the miracles? that we read about that are supposed to accompany the New Testament church. If I asked you today, if you needed a miracle from God, if you would stand. Now, I'm not talking about a blessing. I'm talking about a miracle. You need God to undertake. If, if, you need a, if you're in a situation where you need God, to undertake for you and perform a miracle stand right now. Would you be honest about it? It's going to be many of us in this room, many of us, that for our situation to change, you can sit down, for our body to be healed, it's going to require God to perform a miracle. Now, we all know what a miracle is. Most of us, if not all of us, uh, have experienced the miracle of healing in our body. Of course, there's the, the most dramatic miracle of all, which is salvation, the transformation of our mind. 
through the Spirit of God and the Word of God that most of us have received a miracle, but I want to read a definition so that we have some clarification so that we're all on the same page. So the word Pele, which is miracle, is a verb meaning to do something wonderful, to do something extraordinary, or to do something that is difficult. The inference is not like Valentine's Day is coming up where you're going to do something wonderful for your husband or your wife. It's talking about something wonderful that far exceeds a bouquet of flowers or a box of chocolates. It also frequently signifies the wondrous works of God, especially his deliverance and judgments. So while nothing, absolutely nothing, is too hard for God, many things are too hard for us. Many things are beyond our ability. We were sitting at uh, two stoplights this morning while there's some kind of bicycle thing going on in Cape Coral, and, and, and there wasn't anything I could do because the policemen thought that they deserved the road more than we who are in automobiles deserve it. So we had to sit there and wait. Don't you love waiting? Don't you just love waiting? Oh, y'all, yeah, y'all just love it, I can tell. Just bubbling over with joy. That's another thing the Lord has dealt with me recently about, that we need to learn to wait upon the Lord. And that's why a lot of us are here, not the only reason, of course, but at least we walked in the doors of the house of God with the hope that Jesus would take note of my pain or of my situation, that he might that he might see with his eye uh, what we're going through and that he may do something to, to eliminate our grief and our, and our struggle or our pain or our disease or our infirmity. What you need is beyond you. And I'm going to tell you this, that as we go into the next year or two when our needs are going to increase because of current, uh, the current political and cultural environment of America, the greater your needs, the more you're going to see the supernatural manifestation of God. God wants to do things. Pardon my Missouri vernacular, but he wants to do things that will blow your mind. I'm tired of church that I have already forgotten about by Monday morning. I want the kind of visitation of God to where I'm talking about it by the time church comes around next Sunday. You see, I'm hungry for that. During the national emergency, when God declared that he was going to give the city of Jerusalem and, in fact, the entire nation of Israel into the hands of the Chaldeans and that Nebuchadnezzar was going to march his city right, or his army right into the city of Jerusalem and that he was going to burn the entire city with fire, the word of the Lord came unto Jeremiah 
uh, at that time. And the Lord said to him, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? Now, that didn't mean, Jeremiah, that I'm going to put my hand up and hold back Nebuchadnezzar's army. Nebuchadnezzar's army is going to do this because I took my hand down. Things are getting ready to happen, Jeremiah, but you have to understand I've got a control of everything. Everything is going to be all right. Don't you despair. Don't you worry about it. You just keep trusting in me when the city's on fire and you see the smoke billowing into the air. I want you to know, Jeremiah, nothing is too hard for me. I've got my hand on this situation. So when your doctor says, you know, uh, we really don't have a name to put on that. And, and even if we did, we, we wouldn't know what to do about it. And you're, you're, he's scratching his head. We actually was in Palmer Eye Clinic in Fort Lauderdale right after General Conference in Birmingham, Alabama. And the doctor actually looked up my wife's condition on the Internet in the exam room. So when the doctor says, you know, we really don't have an answer for that, Jesus says, all right, why don't you step into my office? Why don't you step out of his office and step into my office? Why don't you step over here? Because I know what you got, and I know how to fix it. I know how, I know how to heal your body. I know how to repair your mind. No place else to turn. That's why you have to be in the Word every day. When you, have, you don't know where to go, which way to turn. I've been there more than once. Jesus very openly declares, I am the way. And I could just hear a lot of people saying, but that's not what I had in mind. There is no other way, folks. There is no other way. He's the way, the truth. And the life. There are people that feel powerless to change. Well, this is this is my genetic. This is this is how I'm made. I was born this way. But Jesus said, I have all power in heaven and in earth. So we live with the mantra. We say it all the time. Preachers declare it over the pulpit all the time. Is there anything too hard for God? And yet, do we really believe? Do we really believe that? That nothing is too hard for God. And if you do, I'm going to tell you right now, God's getting ready to give you a miracle. If you believe that, if you really believe that, God's going to reveal himself to you. On Tuesday night prayer here in the sanctuary and on Sunday morning prayer, I must say that when we walked in the sanctuary this morning at 9 o'clock, this place was rocking and rolling. The worship team had prayed the power of God down, and when, when you walked into the sanctuary, it, it, it was just it was so strong, and, and I appreciate that so very much. Because they don't rely on their ability or their talents, and they have both of those things. But they rely on the anointing of the Holy Ghost. And so Tuesday night, we meet here for prayer. Sunday morning, we meet in the back room for prayer. And it's not uncommon 
for those prayer meetings to be very intense and very strong and very anointed. It's not uncommon in, in uh, those prayer meetings to have tongues interpretation and uh, to have prophetic utterance through the gift of prophecy. But early one morning, I'm not really sure. I should have made note of when it took place, when it took place. It was back latter November to very early in December. Um, I was praying in the morning, and the Lord spoke to me and said to me that I should begin to covet the best gifts. That's exactly what he said to me, to begin coveting the best gifts. And so um, there are nine spiritual gifts that are listed by the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12. And uh, I understood the Lord at that time to be referring to three specific gifts, the gift of faith, the gift of working of miracles, and the gifts of healing, because God knows that, that I have been weary with church as usual for a long time. Now, it might be good enough to, to warm our jets up a little bit and, and get us a little bit uh, encouraged in the Holy Ghost, but it's not good enough to break the dominions of Satan upon our city and upon our world. It might be good enough to keep us on, on the coals for a little while longer, but I am hungry for so much more, and God knows that. And I'm not alone here. I know I'm not. And so I begin to ponder very quickly there in prayer about coveting the, the best gifts and what I understood understood the Lord to mean by those particular gifts. And it dawned on me as I was meditating on that, that Paul wrote about coveting earnestly the best gifts. So, of course, I turned quickly to 1 Corinthians 12, 31 to read it there, and it's right there, but covet earnestly the best gifts. Now, the word covet is a very strong word. It's a stringent word. In fact, it's, it's always used in a, negative, in a negative sense. You don't covet your neighbor's car. You don't covet your neighbor's wife. You don't, you don't covet your neighbor's anything. My, my neighbor's house is blue. I would never covet his blue, that blue house. He was here from Seattle, and they're building it, and they had to block up, and, and he, he called. He said, hey, let's come over here for a minute, and, and uh, I went over there, and he had five different blues painted on the wall. I said, which one do you like best? He's beaming it here. Which blue do you like the best? You know what I told him? I said, Marcello, I'm not really a blue kind of guy, but I got to thinking, if I'm going to have a blue house sitting next to me, I want that one right there. <laughs> and that's the blue. That's on his house. God gives you a choice, an opportunity. You need to grab it. You need to take it. So generally the word covet is used in a negative uh, context. Uh, it's very strong and, and it's even unhealthy for the people of God, anybody really, but especially for the saints of God to covet anything materialistic. But this is how strongly and how zealously that God wants us to covet and desire the operation of the Holy Ghost in our midst. Now, if, if that was the only word that Paul used, I, I think we would at least get somewhat of the inference that, that he is referring to, to which God wants us to desire the manifestation of his power among us. 
the Spirit of God breathed on Paul. That's the word, what the word inspired means. It, he breathed on Paul. I don't know, Paul might have even went back and said, oh, i got to add another word to the text. And he wrote covet earnestly. Covet is one thing. Earnestly is get out of my way. Covet means I want it really bad. Earnestly means I will tear down everything that's in front of me to get what I want. Earnestly means I'll spend that $100,000 and train for six months just so I can climb and stand on top of Mount Everest. Not just covet, but covet earnestly. To the point of obsessing over the gifts. It should become our obsession to have the gifts of the Spirit operate in our midst beyond tongues, interpretation, and prophecy. On Tuesday night, January 12th, that'd be a week ago past last Tuesday, we're in prayer and the power of God and the presence of God is here and it's very strong. The anointing is very strong in this room. And uh, wherever Sister Melinda is, Sister Melinda, I'm going to pick on you now. Wherever Sister Melinda is praying, you always know she's there. Let me just put it like that. You don't have to know when she walks in the room. You know she's there. She's an intercessor. Well, she'd been stricken with very severe asthma. She had it all her life, I guess, but now it got really, really, really bad to the point that they had to put her on um, steroids, prednisone. So I was sitting there, and I thought, you know, I listened to her try and pray. And I said, well, I need to pray for Melinda, that you will touch her and heal her uh, of this asthma because she's really struggling with it. So I began to pray for her. And over in my little corner of the sanctuary, as I began to pray against her affliction, the Holy Ghost told me, get up and go over to where she is and pray for her. Now, my wife does it all the time. That's kind of her ministry. I only do it when I feel like I'm led to do it. Now, anybody, you're open territory to Sister Bruce here, I'm going to tell you right now. I'm serious. When we're in Branson, her and I have free course, Brother uh, Brother Hopper said, y'all just do what you're going to do and go pray what you want to pray and just have at it. And so I generally won't unless I feel led to do it. He'll even come by me and say, come on, I'll just go. But she's out there laying hands on people and they're speaking in tongues and all kinds of stuff going on over there. I know it's Sister Bruce messing things up over there. So the Lord told me to go pray for Sister Melinda. And so I remember sitting there, remember very vividly what I said to the Lord. I said, well, Lord, you've told me to cover earnestly the best gifts. It has to start somewhere. And so it might as well be here, and it might as well be now. Sister Melinda, would you stand? Uh-huh. Couldn't even do that that Tuesday night. 
I'd ask her to testify, but she'd do it in tongues, and you wouldn't understand it anyway. God performed a miracle in her body. Why? Because he said he would. Yeah. I believe with everything that is in me that God is getting ready to reveal his might and power to his church. I believe it with every cell of my body. God's trying to wake us up to the miraculous. Say, hey, Bishop, you're going to go start out on the circuit and preach? This was never about me. It's about his church. It's about you, his church. But as incredible and wonderful and powerful and unspeakable the miraculous is and the miracle of healing is, God sent me to here today to preach about another kind of a miracle. When God rejected King Saul, God sent the prophet to Bethlehem, invited Jesse and his kids, boys, and to make a long story short, uh, much to Samson's or much to Samuel's dismay, he poured the horn of oil over this little ruddy shepherd boy by the name of David. This anointing was not just a show of recognition or approval. It was anointing him to be the next king of Israel. He would succeed King Saul to be the king of Israel. From that day forward, some of you can look back and remember times when God poured special anointing on you. I want you to, I want you to think about it right now because from that day that Samuel anointed David, David's steps were methodically ordered and directed by God, very methodically. He would walk a very defined and definitive path that would lead eventually to the throne of Israel. So with the scent of oil upon him, and a sense of wonderment, like, what is this all about? The shepherd boy returns to the wilderness to go back to attend to his father's sheep. He went right back to what he was comfortable with. And we do the same thing. We gravitate to what we're comfortable with. Get ready. Because God is pulling us out of the things that we are comfortable with. The time that this freshly anointed young king would spend with the sheep would not be wasted. A lot of you wonder, what, what is this all about? If you trust God, you don't need to wonder. If you have faith in God, what is all, what all is this going on here? If you live for God and you're faithful to God, don't worry about that. God has everything taken care of for you. 
And so God was using the wilderness, and he would only be there a short time to prepare him for what he would be doing in the very near future. For this, God would need a lion and a bear. A lion and a bear. And, of course, God would call the lion out of the wilderness and say, go eat that sheep right there. And there are plenty of gazelle, it's that sheep right there. God gave that lion an appetite for that sheep. And there wasn't anything he could do to resist himself. God did the same thing with the bear. Bear's probably thinking, I don't know what I'm doing here, man. There's plenty of, what, plenty of game out here. So it's fascinating really to me because what David did in the wilderness, it is so common to us. We've heard it preached and preached it so many times. It's all about the lion and the bear. It's a big deal. It's a lion and a bear. David fought. David killed him. Let's go on, preacher. You see, we are so acclimated to this. It doesn't amaze us anymore. It doesn't, it doesn't challenge our senses anymore. There's a danger in that. So, I'm, I mean, this boy kills a lion and a bear. I remember seeing a bear up at, up at uh, Klingman's Dome, got out of the car. I'm taking pictures of the bear, but I'm making sure I'm not too close. A lion and a bear. And even while this is going on, Goliath is over here a couple, couple miles away. And he is challenging uh, uh, the Israelites in the valley of Eli, saying, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. This goes to show you that the devil doesn't always get his way. He asked for a man. God sent him a boy. So David takes cheese and stuff to his brothers, and he's left the sheepfold, and he's ministering to the, his bigger brothers, and he's like, man, this thing is really cool. You guys are soldiers, man. I'm in the army, standing on the army. I mean, he's like a, like a little kid like most of us would have been, just excited about everything. But then he hears the voice of Goliath. What in the world is this? So he ends up over at the king's tent. They take him in. Hey, Saul, here's this kid. He's, he, he's, he's interested in what's going on out here in the valley. And so here's David standing in Saul's tent, and he says this to him, let no man's heart fail because of him, thy servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And what did Saul do? He did what we do. He did what we always do. He looked at the situation. He looked at the giant. He looked at David and said, there's no way. I want you to look just for a moment at the things facing our church and the things facing our families in the future. I want you to look at some of the things that are before us. And don't you dare say there's no way. But that's what we do. Oh, oh my gosh, there's no way out of this. So he says to David, talk about destroying somebody's faith. You can't do that. Thou art not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. And I'll tell you why. Because you're just a kid. And he is a warrior from the time he was a kid. Not to mention, he's over nine feet tall. He could put you in his pocket and play a round of golf. You can't do this. You want to know why you're in the situation that you're in, Saul? Here's the reason. 
So while in the tent, David felt it necessary to build the king's faith. You get that, right? The kid is going to build the king's faith. And so he felt it necessary to mention the lion and the bear. If it wasn't for that, we would not even know about it. So 1 Samuel 17, 34, David said unto Saul, Thy servant kept his father's sheep, and there came a lion and a bear and took a lamb out of the flock, and they went after him. And he's just telling us like, it, like it's just nothing. I went after him, smote him, and delivered it out of his mouth. And when he rose against me, I caught him by his beard, smote him, and slew him. Now, thy servant slew both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be one of them, seeing he hath defied the armies of the living God. So I've read that a hundred times, maybe two hundred times, maybe even more. I don't know. But I asked the Lord, little old me, why was it necessary for you to send the bear? I would think that a lion would have been sufficient. I mean, come on. A lion, you all saw the, the video of the man that jumped in the lake, went under the water, pulled that alligator out of the water with his little dog and saved his dog out of the jaws of an alligator. So I'm saying, God, what's the deal with the bear? And I began to search the significance. What's the significance of a lion? And prophetically, the lion is Great Britain, and the bear is Russia, and oh my gosh, all these different avenues and a waste of time. God, I still don't understand why it was necessary to kill, for him to kill the bear. I'm glad that God is patient with us. and So he finally, eventually showed me the reason. Because had David just killed the lion, I mean, that's pretty miraculous. Had he just killed the lion, he could have easily thought that this was a fluke. Or it was one of them deals where God just anointed me in the spare moment, you know, of time, you know, to, to save me from the jaws of this lion and to save that little lamb. And if he had only killed the lion, as miraculous as that would have been, would it have been enough to completely and utterly convince David that he could also kill Goliath? And so in, in, in my little feeble mind, David, if he had only killed the lion, would have stood in Saul's tent and said, well, Saul, you know, I, I did kill a lion not long ago. Maybe the Lord will anoint me to kill Goliath. Maybe I will be as fortunate with him. I'm willing to give it a try. So I believe that the reason that God sent the bear after the lion was to take the maybe out of David's vocabulary which changed the entire conversation from Saul, maybe I can kill Goliath to I know I can kill Goliath. You see, maybe doesn't cut it in the arena of faith. Maybe if I go to church today, God will heal me. Maybe if I go to prayer meeting, God will touch me. Maybe if I, if I go to church on Sunday, God will perform a miracle in my situation. There are too many maybes 
in the church. Navy doesn't cut it on the battlefield or in the arena of faith. So God calls the bear for one reason, to take that word out of David's mind and to take the idea of Navy out of his spirit. Do you think that that's the reason sometimes that God sends us another battle right after a major victory so that we don't Leave that believing this was just a, a, a fluke of God. This was just a one-time thing. This was just something that happened. But no, God says, no, I'm going to send you a bear because that will convince you. So why was David so sure that he could kill Goliath? Because he realized that killing the lion wasn't a miracle. And he realized that killing the bear wasn't a miracle. What he realized is that he was the miracle. I know you, I suppose, did you put the title on the screen? Why not? We're not going to fire you, brother. Your job is safe. Anybody that will bring Chick-fil-A to prayer meeting on Friday night, right now you're in our graces. You can get away with almost anything right now. That's the reason I gave this message this title, because God knows what you need. Uh, he actually knows better than you and better than I. Uh, he knows that it's going to require him to do something supernaturally. Uh, he, he knows all of this, and he knows what to do and when to do it. But if we're honest, we'll admit to ourselves, if not to somebody else, that there's a lot of times we sense that gnawing sensation in our soul. Maybe God will come through for me. Maybe I will receive my healing. I got to thinking about that, and I thought, you know what, God, if 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 least Stone King was standing on this platform. People would believe for a miracle, not because of Jesus, not because of the cross, not because of the blood, not because uh, of an empty grave. They believe because Lee Stone King is standing here. We got to get past the personalities and past the names and past the reputations and start putting our faith in God. You also notice that things seem to come in threes. At least bad things seem to come in threes. So God doesn't want you facing the impossible with a maybe. So the lion that God sent to David reveals God's miraculous power. Revealed that to David. The bear revealed God's miraculous power. In David, totally different ball game now. But Goliath reveals God's power to the world. You want to have revival? You're going to have to slay some people's giants. You're going to have to step into some people's situations and start praying, and they've got to see God perform a miracle in their life. Goliath reveals God's power to the world. 
And so I want you to look at somebody. Just go ahead and look at somebody. And tell them, you are a miracle. Now look at somebody else. Tell them, you are a miracle. Now look at somebody and say, I am a miracle. See, that changes everything. It puts everything into a different perspective. We don't need a miracle. We are the miracle. <laughs> Praise God. So I, got, I hope God shows up and does something. If the church is here, he will be here. He never lets the church go anywhere without him. Standing in the hospital room, terrible situation. Oh, I hope you show up, Jesus. He is He is banging us on the forehead. If you are here, I am here. Come on, church, we got to get this. The reason why it's written in Mark 16, these signs shall follow them that believe in my name. Shall they cast out devils, they shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents if they drink any deadly thing. It shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. They say in the animal kingdom that a lion is at the top of the food chain. So the Bible says in 1 Peter 5 and 8, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, Walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Should that scare us? No, because in the kingdom of God, in the spiritual world, the redeemed of God are at the top of the food chain. I know the devil's supernatural. He has power that we cannot even dream of, but God gave us a name that's above every name. He has given us authority. He has given us dunamis and exousia power. When the devil starts, starts walking up to you or he's stalking you, just reach out. I just, all I need is one little rock for you, devil. I just need a little stone. That's all I need. I just need a little rock. That's all I I don't need a big rock. I don't need a mountain. I don't need an army. I just need this little rock. Ooh, hallelujah. Why are you so confident? Because I am a miracle. serve the line of the tribe of Judah. My God. When God first began to speak to me about this, I, I got to hurry now. I see I'm going too slow, which is not that uncustomary for me, but uh, I, I could see Peter knocking on the door, Rhoda answering the door, leaving him standing outside going, hey, somebody knocking on the door. And at first, I thought, I, got, I, I have a title. Pastor's good at titles. I'm lousy with titles. So I thought, I've got a title for a message. The message will come later, but i got a title. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> and I was overjoyed. I had a title for a message. I suppose there's a message behind the title, but I'll, I'll take that right now, Lord. So I come up. There is a miracle knocking on your door. I think, I'm thinking, man, that'll preach. That's going to preach, man. A miracle knocking on the door. Praise God. Hallelujah. But then God showed me. Mess with my thinking, he showed me that now the miracle happened in the prison. 
the miracle happened down in town in the prison when the angel came in and, and loosed Peter from his shackles, woke him up, put the 16 Roman soldiers to sleep, opened the prison doors and let him out into the street. What was knocking on the door was Peter. Peter was the miracle. So when you are the miracle, you can alter the spiritual atmosphere of a prayer room. You can walk into a dry, dead, spiritually dusty atmosphere of prayer and you can change the atmosphere of that prayer room because a miracle just walked in the door. You can change the spiritual atmosphere of a church service. I've seen it done before when the service is dead and nobody is worshiping God, but one or two people who is a miracle can change the spiritual dynamics of a church service. Don't accept dead. Don't accept dry. Don't accept powerless. You can change the spiritual atmosphere of the grocery store. I remember walking into Menard Prison in southern Illinois one time, and what you had to do to just get in this place, it is, it is a fortress. I remember when that door slammed, go boom, and I felt the oppression, but I wonder what the devil felt when I was standing there. I wonder what the enemy felt. I wonder what some of the demented, demon-possessed prisoners felt when there was a miracle standing nearby in that prison. I'm telling you, you can change the spiritual atmosphere of your neighborhood. There's people in this room. We began prayer walks in downtown Fort Myers when the city was wrecked. It was old. The buildings were crumbling. The city was a blight. There was people sleeping everywhere under bushes. It was dirty. It was filthy. You walk down that place today, the River District, downtown Fort Myers, Florida. We literally, every Saturday, begin to change the spiritual atmosphere of our city. And we saw it blossom and bloom. When you're a miracle, you can do that. When you're a miracle, you can look at the serpents and scorpions that are in your path. You don't have to wonder, well, God, you're right in my way. You don't have to wonder about it. You're a miracle. God's given you power to tread on serpents and scorpions. They don't tread on you. You tread on them. You have to understand something about the redeemed of God. We are the miracle. Praise God. Praise God. In the event that there's somebody here who has not caught what I'm preaching, can anybody in this room, you may enlighten me, it's all right, I'll accept it. If you can show me something I have never seen before, here I am. Please wait till after church and don't embarrass me publicly. Can anybody in this room show me one miracle that Samson performed in the 20 years that he judged Israel? Anybody? 
I know you're, you're racing through the catalog of God's holy word right now to win the prize of showing the bishop he'd never seen before. Trust me, you would not be the first. He didn't do any miracles. He never healed anybody. He killed a lot of Philistines. What's going on, Bishop? Samson was the miracle. They're praying, we need a deliverer. We need, we need a, somebody's going to deliver us from the Philistines. So a barren woman gets pregnant, bears a son, and his name is Samson. Not one miracle did Samson perform in 20 years because he was the miracle that he sent to deliver Israel from the enemy. God told Noah, we're going to broaden the scope of this a little bit. God told Noah, said, you know what, I'm getting ready to destroy everything. But you uh, been faithful and just in my sight, so I, I'm going to tell you what I'm getting ready to do. And then I'm going to give you the plans so that you can build an ark, the saving of your house. And I'm going to say a lot of animals as well. Besides the immediate family, the ark would be filled with, with animals that breed and, and all kinds of different creatures. Now, if you've ever thought about Noah's Ark, and I'm sure you have, every Sunday school kid has heard of Noah's Ark. That's probably one of the first things they drew in Sunday school. But we understand more today probably than any day the monumental task that it was for Noah to build an ark of that size that would float for five minutes, much less for an entire year that would sustain the weight that it would need to sustain. I mean, we could go on and on, the engineering aspect of it. It was a challenge. I mean, how in the world can you build this thing, Noah? And so now tell me, in the story of Noah that you've heard a thousand times, one miracle that Noah performed in the 125 years in which he built the ark. One miracle. So what are you driving at, Bishop? I'm simply driving at the fact that Noah was the miracle. And when you become the miracle, you can do anything that God tells you to do. When you become the miracle, do you understand what is at your disposal? Didn't perform one miracle, but he did what God told him to do because he was the miracle. Then we come to Gideon. He's threshing wheat behind the wine press, hiding from the Midianites. And, and I don't knock him for that because the Midianites, what they would do, you know, as soon as the crops were ready for harvest, they would, they would brush him with their army and they would just strip the field so that the people of God had nothing to eat. There was famine in the land. So it's understandable if I was Gideon, I would have been behind something as well. When the angel appeared to him, unarguably the children of Israel needed a miraculous intervention from God to deliver them from this Midianite horde. The angel that appeared to him addressed Gideon, as we saw a while ago, the Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. Gideon's response, of course, we noted to some degree, oh, my Lord, if the Lord be with us, 
Why has all this befallen us and all this stuff he went through? So it's obvious by Gideon's response to the angel of the Lord that he was not very spiritual, nor was he spiritually astute as to the reason for their current dilemma. He had no idea that God had permitted the Midianites to afflict the children of Israel to bring them into submission. Because God knows, and it's been proven through the word of God time after time, if Israel is not brought into submission, I will have to destroy them. So Gideon also believed that if God would just start performing some miracles, that the Midianite issue would be resolved. All we need you to do, for crying out loud, is start doing some miracles. Bring us to the day. We think that's the answer to everything. If God would just start performing some miracles, and trust me, I am all for miracles. I want to see the blind eyes open. I want to see the deaf ear. I want to see people get up out of wheelchairs. I'm all for it. God, bring it on. I'm not diminishing the importance of it at all. God wants to do these things. But Gideon thought if God will do that, then we don't have to do anything. God knew if I do that, Gideon, I can do it, but if I do it, then my people will just keep on living in sin, and there's not going to be any change in there. But if, if, if I just remove the problem, they're never going to change. Let me ask you a question. What does God have to do to you to get you to change? Do you need a diagnosis of uh, four stages of lung cancer? that spread to your liver and your bones before you walk back into the house of God and say, forget the message, I'm going to the altar. What do you need God to do to make you change? God knows if I just move your problem out of the way, you'll never change. So when you break down the story of Israel's deliverance from the Midianites in Judges chapter 6 and 7, it's really a neat story. If you haven't read it, you need to do so. There are really only three miracles that take place. Everybody said three. I want to make sure. Three miracles. The first miracle was when Gideon went and prepared a meal, brought it to the angel of the Lord, set it upon a rock, and fire came out of the rock and devoured the meal. Now, that's a miracle. A miracle of fire coming out of solid rock, devouring this food, then the angel of the Lord disappeared and was gone. Miracle number one. Miracle number two, Gideon says, I'm a little hard-headed, a little obstinate. I'm hard to convince. Uh, you need to give me a sign that what you're telling me is true. You know, that really ticks me off, to be honest with you. It really ticks me off. God Almighty is telling you something. You say, ah, I need a sign. Years ago, my dad family, they were traveling. They were traveling with uh, two other couples. In an automobile, it was a little crowded, I guess, and Dad was got talking, was flying down the road, and uh, there was a sign that said curve ahead, and he didn't see the sign. 
And they went right off into the field. Poop, right off into the Thank God it wasn't, a, it wasn't a cliff or something. If you ignore the signs, it's on you. So the next miracle that God did was there was a fleece that was, I may, I may have them reversed, but it doesn't matter. Fleece was wet and the ground was dry. That's a miracle. He said, I, I don't know, God. <laughs> you know, that's pretty cool, but if you can do that the opposite way in the morning where the fleece is dry and the ground is wet. If you go to the story of Gideon and, and this great deliverance from the Midianites, that is the only three miracles that you will see. The only three. Why? Because Gideon, you are the miracle. I believe that God is calling this end time generation of believers people that have been hiding behind their Pentecostal tradition. I told the worship team, they were talking about following the Spirit. I'd already prayed about that this morning. And uh, so I told them, you need to follow the Holy Ghost. They thought that was confirmation, which they did. I'm, I'm tired of three songs and a message. I'm tired of three songs, ten minutes in the altar, and, uh, and go home. I'm tired of that. So we're hiding behind things. We're hiding behind our tradition. I, 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 don't want to, I don't want to just do the same thing all the time. Well, my thing is this or my thing is that. I want to get so imbibed with the Holy Ghost. When I was in the world, uh, I got so drunk one night. I was sitting on uh, a knee wall in somebody's apartment, and the knee wall literally bucked me off, and I went down into the floor. I'm ready for the Holy Ghost to do some of that stuff in me. You know what I'm talking about? I'm ready for people in the back wall all of a sudden to start moving around because they ain't done this in 35 or 40 years. I want to see God move into this auditorium and shake things up. Gideon was not privy to the words of Zechariah's, we are not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Got to move quickly. The, uh, Jesus at the well with the Samaritan woman. Talks to her about this living water. And uh, you speak about that, Jesus. Let's just take a few moments. Let's just take a few moments. I'm glad I don't have false teeth. I was, I was worried about my false teeth flying out when I'm preaching, but I don't have them, so I'm safe there. So he tells the Samaritan woman, you know, he says, Whosoever drinketh this water, that I shall thirst again, water in Jacob's well. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. So the, the, the woman said what any of us would say, Sir, give me some of that water so that I don't have to come back to Jacob's well three times a day and carry water back to the house. But Jesus said, Woman, you don't understand. I'm talking to some Pentecostals that do not understand right now. When did you get the Holy Ghost? 1974. No, when's the last time you got it? He said, you don't understand what I'm talking about. She thought that he meant, I, 
I take one drink of this water, and I never get thirsty again. I can walk through Death Valley, 130 degrees. You know, I'll never die of thirst because I never will be thirsty again. But he said, the water that I'm talking about and the water that I will give you is going to be in you, a well of water that will spring up unto everlasting life. What is he saying? I'm not talking about getting a good drink of the Holy Ghost and, and being satiated for the next six months. I'm talking about the miracle will be in you. You don't have to go to church to get a drink. You don't have to go to prayer meeting to get a drink. You don't have to call a prayer warrior on the phone to get a drink. The well is in you. Coveting earnestly the best gifts. Coveting earnestly. You can receive a miracle today you can become a miracle. So coveting earnestly is not just about releasing the supernatural power of God or revealing the supernatural power of God. It is about cultivating within the people of God a hunger and a thirst for these things. To where they are on our mind every day. We pursue them every day. I'm not, again, I'm not talking about being personally exalted so that we are the one here. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about hungering for the supernatural manifestation of God, coveting earnestly the miraculous demonstration of God's Spirit. When is the last time that you earnestly coveted anything spiritual and it set you on a path? It set you on a path toward God. It set you fasting and praying, caused you to dive into the word of God and seek answers for the things you were longing for. Now, the Bible's inerrant, it's infallible, it's eternal. The Bible is still true. He that hungers and thirsts after righteousness shall be filled. Why will they be filled? Because they are seeking for it. They are searching for it. They are longing for it. My God. Musicians, would you join me on the platform? The, the moment you've all been praying for has arrived. You know what? I'm really done with worrying about it, honestly. Uh, we've watched Brother Mangan preach an hour and a half. We've watched Brother Morgan preach an hour, hour and a half. Preach Brother Shatwell preach an hour and 20 minutes. I mean, I'm done with worrying about how long this is. If it's not the best part of your day, then there's not much I can say or do about it anyway. I'm sorry, I'm just done with it. Now, I come up under a pastor that was at, that was at late. He would always at least preach one hour. Ask the grace. Brother Freno, if, if he preached less than an hour, he was sick. Something's wrong with this man. After midnight, last Friday night, it was around midnight. I know it was after midnight, but I, I didn't look at the clock exactly. We were here in the sanctuary praying. The Lord reminded me. 
of when he fed the 5,000 with five loaves and a few fish. And so I began to think about that. Um, through the years, I've looked at different estimations of the actual crowd. They were somewhere in the vicinity of 12,000 people. When you consider women present, children present, uh, could have been more or less either way. Um, and he reminded me that after the people had fed, I mean, they ate till they, it was running out their ears. My gosh, it was smorgasbord, all you can eat. You got any more of that bread? Yeah, man, here it's going. It's coming your way. It could be where Lambert's got the idea to throw rolls across the room. I don't know. The Lord reminded me that after everybody was fed, and they're going, oh, my gosh, I cannot eat one more bite that the 12 disciples went around and picked up 12 baskets of fragments. It was at that moment that the Holy Ghost spoke to me. No, the Holy Ghost yelled at me and said, it's about the baskets. And then he, he just went on. It's about the baskets. It's about the baskets. We're mesmerized by him feeding 12,000 people, but he said it's not about that. It's about the baskets. I want to make sure that I heard what he was saying to me. So the 12,000 people fed and full, satisfied, probably needed a good walk to work off that heavy meal. The disciples at that time were also satiated. If you think they were eating while they're passing out bread and, and, and uh, smoked fish, they were. And uh, after it was all done, everybody's going away. They each are standing there with a basket full of leftover bread. We come to church week after week, and we are fed with the bread of heaven. Now, we may grade the message, and we may grade the delivery of the message, and we may grade the preacher, because that's what mature apostolics do, right? I'm being facetious. We're fed with the bread of heaven, the infallible, eternal, living word of God. And we are being fed with that word today. But the question is, what are you going to go home with? I remember being at Disneyland, gosh, 30-some years ago, and we went up to Space Mountain, and Dad ends up in the front car, and everybody's worried because he's got a bad heart, and he's in the front car riding Space Mountain. At the end of that day, you know what? We went home with less money in our pocket, full of popcorn and popsicles and all the stuff that we ate while we are at Disney World, but we went home with nothing more than that. The next day wasn't any different than the day before because 
We went home with nothing. So we can have angels standing at attention on the walls. The greatest message, if it's even possible, can be preached in the, in the house of God. We can hear about the word of the Lord. And my God, Jesus, can manifest his presence and his power. And we can still go home I ask you again, what are you going to go home with? I don't know about you, but I feel the Holy Ghost in my body and the Spirit of God is on me. But I understand something about that. If he doesn't get down in here, all of this stuff, not going to do one thing for me. It might feel good. feels real good, as a matter of fact not going to change the way I think. It's not going to change my spirit. not going to change my attitude. I've got to go home with something today that's going to do that for me. Stand with me, please. God's trying to get the word maybe out of our vernacular. Trying to get us to stop saying what if. you realize that all the miracles that God did for Israel to get them out of Egypt, then crossing the Red Sea, and, and then what began to happen in the wilderness? I mean, I am not even going to list the, the miracles that they experienced every single day. I mean, it was from, from the, when the pillar of fire disappeared, the cloud showed up to keep them cool from the heat of the, of the sun. But do you know that all that God did for them, it did not prepare them to cross over the Jordan River and to take Canaan land. Because they saw the miracles, but they did not become a miracle. You can, you can come and you can partake of the miraculous and you can, you can receive the benefit of people that pray and intercede and seek God that are here early Sunday morning so that God will be. You can, you can come and benefit from that. But if you're not careful, you're just going to go home with nothing and come back next Sunday and, and try to get another little benefit from it until you become the miracle. Praise God. It's about the baskets. I'm not talking about Panera Bread. It's about the baskets. The baskets. I told the Lord the other day, uh, and I was so sincere, I really meant it, and I, I still am sensing that. I said, Lord, I feel like I'm just waking up. I can imagine some of these people that were... Uh, placed in an induced coma while they were on ventilators and they wake up and find out that three, four, five, six, seven weeks, four months has gone by. I told them, I feel like I'm just waking up. You know, out of the 47 years we've served God, 44 of those have been in the ministry and I'm looking around me going, God, I feel like I, feel like I just walked out of a fog. I'm just starting to realize some things. The Lord reminded me, well, didn't I tell a parable? 
about the ten virgins that they all slumbered and slept. Is there anybody, is there anybody besides me in this room that it, that feels lately like you're just waking up, coming to the realization of things in God? Wondering where have I been? What, what have I been doing? And I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with us. I, I believe Jesus in the parable of the ten virgins told about the end time church they're going to wake up and they're going to start realizing some things and when they do devil you better look out devil you better look out because when my people wake up then all hell is going to break loose in your life and I believe we're waking up right now but I want you to see something before I end and, and open the altar today. The ten virgins were broken into two different groups. There were five wise and five foolish. And listen to me, I believe this is of the Holy Ghost, and then we're going to let you come and pray, worship whatever you want to do. There was five foolish and five wise. Wow. Heard this a thousand times. Yeah, well, what made the what made the five virgins wise? Well, they had oil in their lamp, but they also had oil in their vessels with their lamp. I'm gonna tell you right now, if you think just coming to church is gonna save you, you are wrong. If you think just keeping your little vessel full of oil, this parable is to the end time church, as sure as I'm standing here. It's to us. And what made the other five virgins foolish is they had the Holy Ghost, the oil in their lamp. And they thought, this is going to be enough. I talk in tongues every day. Ah, da, 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 da. I'm mocking the Holy Ghost. But I am saying that some people had the Holy Ghost for 35 years and you're still talking in that baby language of da, 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 da. But anyway, the Lord showed me something that's getting ready to happen getting ready to happen. Now, this happened before the bridegroom came. We are just, like they are in the prayer, we're just before the bridegroom comes, and something happened. And what happened? God separated the five foolish virgins from the five wise virgins. There was a separation that took place. He separated the foolish from the wise. And once they were separated, he said, all right, my door is open. Come on into the bridegroom's chamber. Think about what I'm saying. He will separate the prayerless. He's going to separate the lukewarm. He's going to separate the complacent. They're not going to hold the five wise virgins down. They're not going to prevent them from revival. They're not going to hold them back from an apostolic demonstration. God's going to separate the prayerless. The fearful. If you're listening, he's going to separate the fearful. You tell that devil. You tell your flesh, bless God, Thursday night, I'm going to be in the house of God. Because there's going to come a separation. You mark it down. Because God's church is on the move. God's people's getting ready to have revival. God is getting ready to give us an outpouring of the Holy Ghost and a demonstration of his spirit and power. And you know why? Because you are the miracle. Come on, you need a miracle. You come to this altar right now in faith.
you come walk down here under the inspiration and anointing of the Holy Ghost. You don't need to come and ask. You don't need to come and beg. You just come down here because God, I am the miracle. Watch and see what God is going to do. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, your family needs a miracle. Guess what? It is in you. A well of water springing up unto everlasting life. You are the miracle. the Bible says pray one for another that she may be healed. I don't care if you're sick, tired, run down, going through hell. When you pray for somebody, God will touch them because the power of God is in you. And when he releases that power, he will also touch you and give you what you need. Your house. Can happen. A miracle can happen in 
Church. Monday morning and claim authority in Dr. Friend's office. You need to tell the devil, this is not your office. This is where I work. This is my office. I'm a child of God. I'm a miracle. And I take authority in this office. Yes, yes, yes. 
is here. me to do something, and I want to be obedient to the Holy Ghost. Now, I would like for our pastor and his wife, and you can get your girls, to come and stand down in front of the pulpit, and the congregation, we're going to gather around them. Pray for them. You have to understand something that what we're moving into is going to require some, some a special anointing and wisdom and direction and uh, protection for our pastor and his family. We're going to get the girls. We want the girls to stand with him when we pray. One of the things, this is coming to me through the Holy Ghost. I really didn't know specifically what to pray, but one of the things you need to start praying is, Devil, you got to go through me to get to them. Don't even think you can reach them without going through us. You got to go through us.
like you'd gather around them is pretty much smothering. Just pretty much is smothering. They'll survive. Come on, come on around. Come on in. Should have prayed for this anointing to come upon them. Come on, pray this anointing. The special dispensation of God's grace released upon my pastor's mind and upon his spirit. God, show him things in the Holy Ghost that your church needs. Reveal to them. My God, let the angels camp round about them and protect them on every side. Devil, you got to go through us to get to them. You can't, you can't get to them until you go through us. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. My God, do it right now. We release this in the name of Jesus. We do not ask for a miracle. We are the miracle. Hallelujah. Protect these children. Protect their mother. Protect their home from demons and from demonic invasion. Protect them when they're in their automobile and raise them up to be great visionary leaders in this hour. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Come on, God, let that power fall upon them right now. Let that glory fall upon them right now. Let that anointing fall upon them right now. They're under the protection of God's angels and of God's church. God, they are come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, God's doing something here. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.
dispensation of his spirit and power upon his people. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We will never be the same after this. raising you up right now. God's raising you up. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. My God, my God, my God. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Tomorrow morning, get up early and brush the dust off of this manna and keep it beside you from this day forward. Every day, come on, brush the dust off of it and feast afresh. On God's word. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, let's go home with something today. In Jesus' name.